Hi, I'm Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today I am joined by composer Christopher Trapani. Christopher has received many prestigious awards and commissions, including the Rome Prize, Guggenheim Fellowship, Gaudemus Award, Frome Commission, and Barlow Prize. Chris shares his experience with clinical depression and how it impacts his creative process, how he filters his memories, and his communication in his music and in life. Hi, Christopher. How are you? Uh, hi, Julia. I'm all right. Thanks for inviting me to do this. So I read your really beautiful and, and honestly quite poetic article, Clouds on Clouds, in New Music Box. So I was just curious, what kind of prompted you to share this information now, to kind of talk publicly about having experienced depression? You know, the impetus for the article was really this desire to explain something about my own work that I didn't think was quite getting across. I felt like I needed to say, here's why I use these gray, noisy sounds in my music. Here's what they mean to me. I mean, I'm one of those composers who believes that, you know, maybe the, the meat of the work of composing is expressing something very personal. And this was maybe the most personal thing. Yeah. that I could express. Because I, as I say in the article, I think that half of the time what I'm doing is evading depression and using composing as kind of an escape mechanism and, you know, writing these deliberately colorful, busy, boisterous pieces. And then I found that those were the pieces that uh, people were latching onto and associating with me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try to shift the perception a little bit. I'm thinking about one piece in particular mm -hmm. that, that started this. And it's a piece called Rust and Stardust. I was lucky enough in 2015 to have two premieres sort of back to back. One in France, which was a piece called Spinning in Infinity, which is just very colorful. And then I wrote the sort of opposite piece, Rust and Stardust, which was done in Glasgow. And one of the reviewers called it dreary accomplished and dreary. That's a quote that I won't forget. And I thought, yes, well, that's, that is kind of what I'm getting at, right. but it shouldn't be the point at which you stop listening. Mm -hmm. It should be a gateway into understanding something deeper about the piece and what it's expressing. I mean, you mentioned that you are often evading the mm -hmm. overwhelm of the depression with colorful music. I don't know if you've noticed that I have a lot of... <laughs> Photo, colorful photos on my wall um, and I know for me when I'm feeling incredibly anxious um, when I you know I have an anxiety disorder and when I'm feeling very anxious um, sometimes it really helps me to focus on an image mm -hmm. um, and it kind of helps me get out of my head a little bit can you talk a little bit about how you kind of navigate your different mental states while you're writing sure well let me say first that last year I went to an art exhibit by uh, an artist in Austin, Texas, Allison Noakes. And she 
spoke in her exhibit about how she struggles with anxiety herself. And so she makes these deliberately colorful, evocative paintings as a means of coping with anxiety. And I found that really striking because that was the first time that something that I had been doing my whole life was kind of articulated. And yeah, there is pretty much always some kind of extra musical angle, a poem or a place or an image that I'm evoking. And I should say that it's not just a strategy in my music, but kind of in the way that I live too. When it used to be possible to travel, I would travel, I would move around, I would seize on opportunities for evasion and distraction to keep my mind busy and misdirected. So at what point does that become a challenge? I don't really have the answer to how I manage to compose and be depressed. Yeah. Other than that, it's really difficult and it's like pulling teeth, but somehow I have generally managed to keep up with deadlines and not abandon big projects. But when I step back, yeah, sometimes it's kind of a mystery to me mm-hmm. how I managed to do that. And I will say that I, I can go stretches of nine months or a year without writing anything. And I think that that's necessary for me. There can be spurts when I get four or five pieces done in a year and then there can be long dry spells. Well, you you mentioned in your article that you've been writing as long as you've been clinically depressed. So I'm curious what age you're you're saying that that started. I I started writing music a little younger. I started writing music when I was 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. Um, But my first breakdown and my first diagnosis came when I was 20. Mm -hmm. Which is standard which is the average age yeah. of uh, onset, I later learned. I yeah. didn't know that. And that that was a, a bit of a shock and uh, a moment of recalibration in my life. Mm-hmm. But it didn't all happen at once. It took me years to sort of get on a more uh, stable regimen. Does that mean you have in your memory um, a time of writing and creating that was separate from these feelings of depression? I could say that. Yeah. Yeah. This is what my piece, Sparrow Episodes, is about. Uh, It's about the memory of being 16 years old and uh, everything feeling invigorated with life and action and possibility sort of overflowing. And even when I was writing that piece, I was... 26 when I wrote it, so I was writing it from a distance. But yeah, it was written to evoke a sensation that I remembered fondly as this pre-depression spark, a time in my life when I didn't really know that kind of uh, gloom yet. So do you use the different imageries and poems and your, you know, maybe photographs of travel to help reconnect with that time or that mind state? Well, sure. Yeah. The same way I think everybody does, uh, looking at old pictures and reading familiar poems, listening to familiar music, it still works, can still transport me back to that time. One of the 
insidious effects of depression though is that it really interferes with the encoding of new experiences okay and the development of new memories and the intensity of uh, emotional experience i think you know people who have experienced depression know this on a daily basis like things seem distant and gray but what's not immediately obvious is the sort of cumulative effect mm. like looking back on years of your life and noticing that like you basically didn't form any strong memories or attachments or there's there's nothing that's uh, vivid and tangible mm-hmm. from entire gaps in my own history so there really is in terms of color this kind of dichotomy between these sort of bright vivid memories and kind of like a haze that's the way that i've always experienced it that's a pretty spot-on analogy to the way that things are filtered through my own mind and is this the first time you've talked about it in a public sense in that article it might be the first time that I've spoken about it publicly in a very direct way. Although I don't think for most people who knew me that it was any kind of surprise. Did you feel when you first learned that you had clinical depression, did you think about sort of the the famous melancholic artists and what are your thoughts about that and kind of how we immortalized some of those people? Uh, that's a great question and that's a a key question. I think for a while, it made me kind of suspicious of my own experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, am I just trying to be more of an artist by being depressed? Am I just trying to find my own place in the pantheon by giving into those depressive emotions? Uh, That took a long time to sort out. Yeah, for instance, like Schumann is a composer that speaks to me and has always spoken to me and i get that uh, immediate sensation that there is a dark and deep personal experience encoded in the music Mahler, to a lesser degree for me um and then i don't want to go down the whole list there's a long list there's a long list for sure so you were saying you so you were suspicious of what that meant for you it sort of makes you ask yourself am i trying too hard to to throw myself into uh, an artistic mindset, which is the mindset that I have heard that, you know, the great romantic artists uh, let themselves fall into. But after a while, it was pretty clear that these things were sort of independent and out of my control. So you had to sort of understand that there was a separation between your creative experience and your mental health. Yeah, exactly. I have always tried to kind of compartmentalize the two. Yeah. So that, and I think it's a survival strategy. When I talk about evading, when I write music, uh, it's not something that I I had an idea like, oh, this will be great for my music. It was the only thing I could do in order to keep writing when I was extremely depressed. It was to write about something else and redirect my 
attention. And then I've also had to do the opposite, like make a decision to write a piece about an experience that deals with depression fairly directly at a point when I'm not experiencing it as intensely myself and still having to channel back to those emotions to, uh, to draw on that experience. What enables you to make that decision that it's, you know, now is a time to write a piece that looks more directly at my experience with depression? That's a good question. I don't know if there's a specific time that these ideas are triggered for me. I'm, I don't know how, how you do it, how you keep track of, you know, your ideas for various pieces, but I have sketchbooks and little notebooks where I put things down. And yeah, sometimes I know that there's a particular emotional current that I want to write about. Uh, Water Lines is probably a good example. It's a piece I wrote about Hurricane Katrina. Uh, there was no getting around the very intense uh, associations for me uh, since it hit my hometown. In a way, you can listen to water lines as going through various stages of dealing with the news, I think. Mm -hmm. The first movement is supposed to encapsulate this kind of shock and distance and uh, just kind of the weirdness mm -hmm. of the whole thing which you could kind of say for the third movement as well. The second movement is a retelling of everything that happened in a cartoonish intensity. Mm. And then the fourth movement is anger and is kind of rage. And the last one is this weird distanced resignation and starting to hear things just go around in a spiral and feeling yeah sort of helpless at what's happening so these are all emotions that hit me at some point while dealing with the aftermath of the hurricane yeah i was able to sort of separate them out i wrote the piece seven years after katrina right so with a lot of distance and a lot of time i was able to compartmentalize what i wanted to encapsulate yeah, I think that's an important thing to remember that sometimes these things, you do need that distance, like particularly now I know, well, there are a lot of varying opinions and experiences about writing about the pandemic experience and mm. um, when and how. <laughs> um, have you been writing during this time? And do you have, have thoughts about portraying this particular time period? I've pretty much written only one piece. Mm -hmm. in the whole pandemic time and it's premiering next week Ooh! it's a piece called holding patterns Ooh. and so on one hand it's very much about uh an old idea that interested me with electronics which is the idea of loops that kind of cycle aimlessly and overlap and interweave but yeah it is also about the primary emotional sensation of the last 10 months, which has been, we're just circling. I'm curious if you'd like to share anything about sort of any concern or fear you might've had about maybe trying medication or therapy um, in thoughts that it might impact your creativity. Oh yes, I thought about that a lot from the very beginning. 
I didn't really try medication or, or get serious about therapy until I was about 30. So it took a long time. Part of it is I was moving a lot. I was living in France and Turkey and it wasn't very easy to, I didn't want to go to therapy in Turkish, for instance. So finally, when I got settled in New York, that's when I was 30, I went to Columbia and started my doctorate and had healthcare and uh, a U.S. cell phone and all kinds of things that I probably should have had. And that's when I yeah, started to get serious about it. And up until that point, I was really skeptical. I had friends who uh, had told me that they went on antidepressants and never felt the same again. And um, yeah, it's something I, I was very reticent about, but it came to a point where I just felt that I didn't have any other choice. At a certain point, the illness can kind of be too much of a burden, I found. Sure. Did starting treatment in different iterations, did that impact your, your creative um, life? You know, the problem is once you start treatment or medication, it then becomes very difficult to separate out and say like, this is because I'm taking this pill that now I'm able to do this or uh, thanks to my therapy, I'm able to go in this direction. Uh, so it's really hard to say, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Although I know it affected me. I mean, it pushed me in different directions and sometimes it, helped me just to give me the energy and motivation to to work yeah so I do think it was probably a net gain and I know it can take a while to figure out the dosage and which kind and yeah and the, the biggest obstacle for me still is getting like some kind of regular treatment when I'm moving between countries which I, which I still am pretty regularly. So that's a challenge. You mentioned in your, your article something which really resonated with me, which is that when you fill out job applications, there's sort of this question of like what to disclose. I've just had the same, the same questions of like, well, is this, is this a disability? Doesn't, is, right. you know, is it, what is it? <laughs> How do you explain it? Do you need accommodations? What are they? Yeah, that, that is a, a really big one for me. I approach it almost randomly. Like sometimes I say, okay, this time I'm going to disclose it and this time I'm not going to check that box. But I think the important question is really what are accommodations for a disability like this? I mean, I have been in professional situations where I'm teaching or interviewing for a job. When I start to feel that my depression is going to be an obstacle like it it's starting to drag me down and i'm not as communicative as i should be and i'm not able to focus like i ought to be and i'm giving the wrong impression and uh and i do wonder like what if that person across the table you know if they knew this detail about me would it 
change the impression that I'm giving. But it's hard to say until there's a more generalized awareness of uh, what people who suffer from depression are living with. Have you any- did that all come through because there was a kid screaming at <laughs> I heard it. I did hear the, the kid in the background, but it was it was kind of a nice ambient sound. Okay. That's but always yes. screaming. It's Italy. Are there any um, other aspects of depression that you want to discuss in terms of impacting? We've talked about the creative process, but what about other aspects of of work as a composer or as a teacher? You know, it's just become something that I'm hyper aware of now. The past five years, I've been sometimes teaching, sometimes unemployed and looking for teaching jobs and sometimes hearing feedback like, you know, uh, Christopher should have looked people in the eyes a little more. Christopher should have been more engaged. And these things that feel like they are manifestations of my depression mm-hmm. that are keeping me from making an optimal first impression and from being uh, as engaged as I should be. And that's really a bummer to feel like this uh, disease could be holding me back. But I think what people need to know and maybe start to become aware of is that there is a trade-off. There are other things that uh, people who suffer from depression are maybe naturally better suited for, better geared towards. I do think that, you know, even though I have sometimes trouble being present and focused, I am a very uh, dedicated and invested teacher. And I think that's in some way related to my illness and um, being able to be a little more patient and a little more uh, tolerant, I guess. And I think that's a positive thing that people should value in a mentor, but that isn't the easiest thing to show off. So you would say it's it's given you insight or access to great empathy? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, great empathy might be putting it a little bit too um, in grandiose terms, but I think that it has made me more empathetic and more willing to look past surface impressions and uh, difficulties in communication. Do you have any thoughts about what conservatories or different classical music institutions, I mean, we'll talk specifically in our field because that's where Mm. we both are, but sort of what can be done in our industry to help? Yeah, that's a very serious question that I don't really know the answer to. Something that I often think about is that composers like me who have difficulty being the face of the operation who are not as outgoing as others, probably had an easier time in the past when they had go-betweens, publishers and publicists and people who were there to push your work on your behalf. And I do wonder sometimes, like, are there people who are slipping through the cracks because of this new priority that we place on Mm self-promotion? Which, you know, in some ways has been very valuable, but it makes a different type of personality rise to the top, I think. Yeah. And Lord knows that if 
that had always been the case. There are some major composers that we would never have heard of. And so I think a general awareness of that at conservatories, but also on the part of other arts organizations and festivals, orchestras, not to just rely on the uh, self-promotional skills of composers, but to do the extra work of digging under rocks, let's say, for people who can't present themselves as readily. And yeah, I think the important thing at the conservatory level is counseling being available to everyone and uh, education and awareness. Anxiety has always been a, an endemic problem in conservatories, right? Yes, and performance anxiety. When did you start reading about depression and um, do you have any recommended favorites? Yeah, there was one particular book that I read around this time that uh, really dovetailed with writing the essay, and that was Undoing Depression by uh, Richard O'Connor. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, it, it resonated with me a lot more than any other books about the illness that I had read, uh, with one exception, which is well, William Styron's book, Darkness Visible. And, you know, he's coming at it from the perspective of a novelist. It's a beautiful book, just talking about his own experience with depression, which for him uh, seemed to come quite suddenly and late in life. I had this collection of quotes about depression that I had been gathering for years. Do you have any advice for composers or creatives, musicians working now or not working now? Yeah, just in general advice for anyone struggling with depression. Big question. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to uh, give advice, but <laughs> the thing to do is to keep an eye on yourself and learn to know when you feel that you're getting into more dangerous territory and might need some help. Maybe I'll ask you this. Um, what okay. do you do for fun? Oh my God, <laughs> I don't have fun. I like to travel. I like to explore places. I like to walk. Uh, most of my daily dose of entertainment and invigoration is just walking around Palermo, finding new corners, taking pictures, finding crazy street art or dilapidated buildings or... Uh, yesterday I saw uh, a white cat stuck on a rafter about 10 feet up in the air, Yeah, which once I scared it, it jumped back into an apartment and was fine. But uh, those sorts of little accidental daily surprises kind of keep me going. Yeah. And you, you're living with your, are you, you're married or your partner? I am married. Yeah. Uh, although right now I'm in Italy and my wife is back in New York. She's building a skyscraper in Manhattan. She's a, an architect. There are certainly points where our interests intersect. And uh, in particular, our love of travel is what leads us to these, uh, these new p patterns, these new discoveries. If people want to find you, find your music, you know, where, where should they go? Well, I've, I've got a couple of CDs out. One's on uh, New Focus Recordings with Talia Ensemble, Jack Quartet, Lucy de Grey. Uh, another one with Ictus Ensemble in Belgium, 
And you can find those links from my website. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and being so honest and thoughtful with your answers. It's a pleasure, Julia. Yeah. I hope we have a chance to talk again sometime. I'm so grateful to Chris for talking about his experience with depression. I think this is a topic that many are afraid to talk about, and it's so important, as Chris said, that we begin to destigmatize these conversations within our field and within our family and friends. There is no one way to seek support or to take care of yourself. And I think Chris says something very important, which is to just be aware and be careful if you might be approaching an edge where your mental health feels no longer sustainable on your own and you might need help from an external source. So thank you, Chris, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again.